I know that today is just a test run through our Welsh Dave, hills. David, Good day, sir. Come along. But can you tell me, is it really your intention to eventually explore deep into the bowels of the Earth? Sir, we've been on top of the Earth long enough. It's about time we found out what's underneath. Welcome to another Movie Mug. I'm Steve Piggott, and today is the final week of this week's podcasts a day. Uh, it's also Good Friday, which means it's Easter, or as close to Easter as we're going to get with this particular broadcast, uh, which means it's chocolate. So today's mug is chocolate-themed. It is ta-da, Cadbury's Cream Egg, a very, very famous uh, UK uh, chocolate. And, uh, you know, there's lots of them in the shops at the moment. They always are at this time of year. So that's the mug. And in it is also a chocolate drink. It's a white chocolate drink, um, which, uh, well, let's not be a beat around the bush. It was fucking awful i hated it oh it was revolting to a couple of sort of hot chocolate hot white chocolate in a drink uh, is not my cup of tea uh, or even my cup of hot white chocolate it's uh, reminding me a little bit of old school dinner custard from 25 years ago when i was at school and that it all could just suddenly came back to me and i absolutely could not stand that style of custard they had used to have in the schools back in the uh, well late 70s early 80s i guess it was so ugh, no horrible so instead of that um i drafted in a backup can of monster energy drink that i had stored away so um so i've enjoyed that whilst i've watched today's film now it is easter well, that doesn't really hold much interest for me beyond the uh, you know, ritual eating of chocolate in ovum form. But uh, as a kid, it would give me the opportunity to watch a few films. You know, you got a few days off of school, you had the weekend, opportunity to, to, to watch a few tapes and watch, uh, watch some TV. So I'm not really saying that I would have seen this film first at Easter or that I would necessarily have always watched this film at Easter. But it's an arbitrary time to, uh, to relive this particular classic. It's, uh, it's a family favourite. It's one that me and my brother and my parents used to enjoy watching we'd watch over and over again and easter's as good a time as any to have possibly watched it so that's the reason why i've decided to re-watch it and uh, and recap it today i'm not entirely sure when i did first see this film to be fair i've been trying to remember back it's possibly it's and this is trying to knit together a few sort of ideas from my uh, from my childhood is that well, when I was growing up, when we had uh, we had videotapes, and you know we would start to build a collection of videotapes, and it's that's something that's stayed with me ever since. Is that I have this this need to collect and create a range. You know, I, I know some people even now today that they've got like twenty twenty five DVDs, and they're happy with that. But I need volume. I need volume. I need choice, and I need lots and lots and lots of it. Uh, but the point is, is that our videos were numbered. When you bought a blank videotape, the um, you got this little sticker lay, set of stickers in it, and it was a long thin. Sticker to go on the spine a shorter fat one to go on the face and then you'd have various other little bits and pieces including some numbers and we used to use those numbers to number all of our tapes um whether that was the point of them i'm not entirely sure we used to stick them on the outside and on the inside so that we knew which one went with the box very very anal but yeah that's what we did um so these tapes were numbered now i can remember that our copy of this film that we had was on tape seven so I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that that would have been very, very early 80s after we first got our video, first video recorder, which was a top-loading, push-the-buttons-down kind of affair. You know, um, I can't remember who manufactured the first one we got, but uh, it was uh, very, very early in the 80s when we got our first video recorder. Now, 
I'm going to then I trying to knit together the timeline here. When I when I in the eighties when I was a kid, here we go. I was on a BBC game show called Finders Keepers. Don't try and look for it. Uh, and that was when I was eleven. Now, when we taped that off of the TV when it came on, it, that was on tape forty-two, and this film was on tape seven. Now, here's the timeline. So, tape forty-two would have been around about eighty-four. Um, and then tape seven, well, I get you know any time before then really. Probably, I mean, I don't know how many tapes we were buying a year or how many v- videos we were recording off TV a year, but certainly before I was around about eleven. So I'm guessing I probably first saw this film when I was about eight, maybe nine. Um, yeah, there you go. I struggled to remember my wife's birthday, but I can remember that. <laughs> go figure. Uh, anyway, the film that I've uh, I've enjoyed today again is one of that I've had uh, in the loft that's been hidden away. That's uh, collected a lot of dust, but I've rolled it out again, and I kept this one specially for today because I knew that obviously today being a bank holiday is that I would be able to sit back and enjoy this film. It is. It was first released in the cinemas in 1976, and it is called At the Earth's Core, or Edgar Rice Burroughs At the Earth's Core, as it was fashioned sort of indirectly it is based on there's a lot of you know there's a lot of the same the characters are the same but there's some differences i believe i've not read the original novel but it's a 1914 novel by edgar rice burroughs the um film starts off with a a very very spirited credit sequence it's a brilliant credit sequence i think it's uh and with rousing rousing music fantastic brilliant music really uplifting um, and it shows an ironworks in full flow. There's uh, there's people with plans and molten liquid pouring into molds and things being fashioned. There's something's being built. You don't know what at the time, but something's being built. And then you see it and you enter our two main characters, Dr. Abner Perry, played by the fantastic Peter Cushing, and David Innes, his kind of sidekick, played by Doug McClure, the brilliant Doug McClure. They've made this machine. It's a drilling machine. They're calling it an iron mole, and it's a long phallic drilling rig, basically, that um, the, there's a bit of a problem. I've, I've always had a problem with the scale of the thing. I could never work out whether it was a huge machine or whether it was a small machine, and here's the reason why. It's supposed to be drilling into the side of a mountain. So when you see this thing on the screen, you see it against the scale of the mountain. You think, geez, this thing is huge. And then you see a ladder next to the machine. And you're thinking, right, well, the machine's not that big then. And then when they're in the inside, there's these five little TV screens as their kind of viewpoint that they open up to see where they're going. And you can see the head of the drill rig around the outside of the thing. And the, dr- the, drilling rig, the drilling head itself looks reasonably small. And then you see the outside and you think, right, that the scale is completely off. It's almost like the person who made the machine, the person who made the inside, and the person who made the ladder, and the person who fashioned the, the, um, the mountain, uh, probably a painting anyway, all those people were completely different people and they didn't see what anyone else was doing until last minute. They're like, oh, that doesn't really work. But never mind, let's move on. So so this machine, they've built this machine, uh, the Iron Mole, and they're going to take it on its maiden test run into the side of a mountain. The idea is to go through the mountain out the other side. But something goes wrong. They're drilling into the mountain and the, re- the drilling rig just keeps going down and down and down, deeper and deeper and deeper. Till eventually uh, they, they pass out or get knocked out. One gets passed out, one knocks out, and they wake up close to the centre of the Earth, close to the, the Earth's core. They then manage to redirect it a little bit, um, but still close to the core. They emerge into a hidden world near the Earth's core, uh, the world of Pelucador. Um, it's 
a really really strange place it's like a huge big cave in the cent- near the center of the earth it's got a pink sky it's got huge mountainous ranges it's got um huge flora and fauna uh, um, prehistoric fauna as is pointed out the stuff you'd expect from this type of film where they go to the center of the earth um and of course it's got its dinosaurs although they're not strictly dinosaurs they're more kind of rip-off dinosaurs and other weird stuff like that once they decide to get out, come out of the uh, the capsule, um, which again gives you an un- uh, understanding of the scale, because when they come out of the capsule, the the, the side of the capsule shows that hmm, that, that ladder that was next to it obviously is a tiny little ladder, and that mountain is really really small. Doesn't work. Really doesn't work when you start to drill it down. But leave all that to one side. They get out of the capsule, and almost straight away they get into a uh, fight slash uh, uh, runaway with well, it's. Well, it's a, a big walking parrot, basically, is what it is. It's a man in a rubber suit, a really bad rubber suit, mind you. And it's uh, it's kind of like a big walking dinosaur on its hind legs, but with a parrot's head. And it's it looks really, really strange and really, really rubbery. And most of it is rear projection against them trying to run away from it. Um, they then get, after they've fended that off or gets fended off for them, they then get captured by the locals. And the locals are a weird kind of ape kind of character uh, not quite a gorilla not quite a, uh, a, a person kind of a, a, a not a planet of the apes type of person as well very very strange looking people who they speak in squeaks and squawks uh, a little bit like a cross between a bird and a jawa kind of thing and um, and also they can use telepathy to talk to one another or talk to their gods and they are they've been enslaving the humans that are in this world yep there are humans down there and strange enough they speak fantastic queen's english go figure they're at the center of the earth which means they could be anywhere in the circumference of the earth probably untouched by the outside world and yet they speak perfect english yeah well let's move on um they capture them to either work in their city uh, citadel or to be sacrificed to their to, to their gods to the keepers who are the mayhers uh, and they are basically huge big um well man-sized crows basically um with uh, tele- telepathic powers to be able to talk to their 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 race as such so um anyway doug mcclure D- uh, doug mcclure or david falls for dia who is uh, played by caroline monroe who's in the film and she plays a princess who gets captured and when he eventually does escape from there in a daring do kind of uh, Indiana Jones foggy kind of uh, style, he uh, he then decides to lead a revolt against the mayors, uh, um, getting the two tribes, warring tribes that live in this place uh, to, to come together to revolt up against the mayors to rescue his princess to be his bride and, of course, his kooky scientist friend played by Peter Cushing. Um, and that's about the long and the short of it, really. And then the rest of the film is kind of like a uh, how they actually do that uh, um, to the point whereby they uh, they reach their objective. It's um, it's as mad as a brush, as mad as you like it. But I love it for it being mad as a brush. I loved it as a kid in the 80s. I haven't seen this film for a long, long time, probably at least 10 years. Like I say, it's one of those tapes that's been sitting in my loft for at least five years, and I wouldn't have seen it for some time before then. But it's still tons of fun. It's still it's still a great... And it, it, it kind of makes me want to eat chocolate, to be fair. So maybe... There is some connection here between this film and Eastern, something that's in the back of my head that just went, oh, I want to watch that film. Uh, there's even some Easter motives in the film if you hunt, hunt, for, hunt for them. The, there's a huge bird motif, um, and birds lay eggs, Easter. Um, and even at the end, the end sequence where they're uh, um, fighting off the, the mayors, the point is they're trying to get to these egg, egg 
kind of ovum shaped uh, cylinders that look like big white eggs to uh, they've got this um, boiling liquid in it which is a bit like a cream egg hey there you go there's another similarity that uh, similarity towards uh, towards easter but or towards you know chocolate easter anyway it's um like i said it's it's mad as a brush it really is uh rubber suits rear projection bad rear projection bad rubber suits hand puppets really really bad models um out of touch scale it's all over the place but it's brilliant it's great fun the drilling machine itself is fantastic even though the scale's all over the place it's just you know it's old style telephone it looked like the inside of the original tardis from the peter christian film hey another connection there uh you know an old style telephone handset as the communicator to uh, uh, mission control which is probably some bloke with a stopwatch outside uh, old dials and gauges and uh, gold nose you know sort of this Victorian-ish style because it was supposed to be around the Victorian time as most of these as most of these films from Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, era was um, the drilling head looks pretty mean actually to be fair you know the, the head of the of the device you know looks like it really could chew through rock but it's got these kind of weird little feet on the side a bit like platypus feet that are supposed to propel it along and when they said test them, I expect them to start really, really going really, really fast and kind of like creak in there. <laughs> really, really strange. There, there's some nods as well to, um, or there's some films that I think nod to this, even though they may not admit to it. There's one particular sequence whereby Doug McClure has to fight off a uh, a pretty pissed off captive dinosaur um, in a uh, with a huge big mouth kind of like a bit like a big bit like a dinosaur hippopotamus really it's in an underground cave in the city of the of the Mayhers these birdmen and he has to fight them off and it's so reminiscent of the Rancor sequence in Jedi it's just like oh, it's just like that really they, uh, um, uh, Lucas could have just ripped it off blindly without even knowing about it. Like I said, there's lots of daring do and old-style Hollywood fisticuffs, and uh, there's a great scene with Peter Cushing with a bow and an arrow, uh, which is which is priceless. The ending as well, and um, spoiler alert, although I don't really think I'm giving too much away, the ending is fantastic as well. Over the credits at the end, uh, and again that rousing scoring that, that music, which is great. The drilling rig eventually does come back to the surface, um, but it's coming up through the White House lawn. Brilliant, absolutely perfect. Um, Peter Cushing bounds around, mad as a brush, uh, and as a kind of a mad professor. It's almost like the Doctor. He, he almost his his portrayal of Doctor Who in those early films could have almost just been this, really. So, you know, that kind of um, uh, bumbling scientist kind of thing. And he he goes around commenting on his fascination of the place and the floor, floor and the fauna um, and the rock formations and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's, here's a lost civilization, hundreds of miles beneath the Earth's surface, never been touched, and yet he can translate their writing. Some really really strange stuff as well. One point as well, he actually says to Doug McClure, they're trying to escape from the city. And he needs to take a breather because he's really old. He needs to take a breather. Um, they're trying to escape from the centre of the earth. And he says to Doug McClure, have you ever thought of going to the moon? It's priceless. <laughs> uh, Doug McClure is brilliant in this. Fantastic. He plays uh, the, the, the character he does in most of his films, the all-American hero who uh, you know, kicks ass and chews scenery. You know, we're the best of them. Really, really, uh, really good stuff. Directed by Kevin O'Connor, who also then made, who also made The Land That Time Forgot and The People That Time Forgot, which are also Edgar Rice Burroughs' works, and also The Warlords of Atlantis, which wasn't Edgar Rice Burroughs, but those three films also starred Doug McClure. So obviously, uh, and all within a few years of one another, all within about three or four years of one another, he, within three or four years period, they created these, they, they made these four films. Um, so obviously him and McClure had a kind of, you know, good working relationship they wanted to keep going. And they're all very, very similar. Similar films or similar styles. Um, it, 
the funny thing about this film, the thing that really, really smuck, uh, uh, smacked me today, is that this is only a year before Star Wars. <laughs> and if you watch these films without any knowledge of the timeline, if you were to just have one on one screen and one on the other and watch them and not realise, I think you'd swear that this film was probably made in the late 50s or early 60s. It's, uh, it's such a world apart. And the other funny thing about it, and I don't know, is the fact this is just me spitballing here, is that Peter Cushing's in both, obviously. He's in Star Wars and he's in this. And the post-production on Star Wars would have been a lot longer than the post-production on this. This could have been shot, all the effects were either rear projection or in-camera, and edited, bung on some music, bang, send it out. Um, Star Wars, obviously, there's an awful lot of post-production work on that to get the effects done. If if Cushion had any idea what was going on in at the same time, if that was if that was the what was happening is that he was working on one whilst post on another or pre on another, surely he could have said, you know, hey guy, hey Mister at the Earth's core guys, you want to see what these Star Wars boys are doing? Let's see how I do it properly. Um, but saying that, it then wouldn't have had the charm that it does have, and uh, and I probably wouldn't have loved it as much because I love it for all of its faults, and it's got tons of them, many many faults, but and most of them are time bound, most them are budget bound most of them are the fact that it was you know probably all made with uh you know uh, all english money and all english uh, um people but then so was star wars so maybe that's not that's not a great argument but um but i've got fond memories of watching this and i've really enjoyed watching it again today it's a film which i do now I, I, i'm gonna get this digitally so i've got another it's another bad vhs copy but it is available on dvd i've already found it and it's really really cheap on amazon you can get it uh you can get it used for like a sort of four or five quid um it doesn't warrant a remake don't remake this film uh, you know not that people are listening to me to remake films but we've had plenty of similar uh, variants of uh, going to the centre of the earth I mean there's another journey to the centre of the earth uh, journey to the earth 2 um, without Brendan Fraser that's coming out I think it's this year or not or maybe next year um, and there's other things you know Lost Land of the Lost and you know and even there's even nods to there's even nods to this in Avatar realistically when you think about it similar sort of uh, style of film um Style of story, sorry, not style of film. So leave it alone. Enjoy it for what it is. It's a cracking little film. It's a real throwback, and it's something that I've thoroughly enjoyed watching today. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. 1976 at the Earth's core. Lots and lots of fun. And today's movie mug.